This is Right Now with AWS, the podcast series that surfaces patterns, best practices, and successful solutions across every imaginable industry. I'm your host, Katie Daptis. Manufacturers that want to move faster and save costs, gaining ease and agility throughout their processes can reach those goals with a Manufacturing Execution System, or MES. It's estimated that 68% of manufacturing plants don't have an MES, but the software provides step function improvement to operations and new advancements are making it easier to deploy the tech and experience benefits sooner. Joining me is Darpin Parikh, Head of Composable Operations Solutions, and Magnus Akison, Head of Manufacturing Solutions at AWS. Today, we're diving into MESs and best practice considerations for every organization, whether you're starting from zero or looking to modernize an existing system. Darpin, Magnus, welcome. Thank you, Katie. Happy to be here and look forward to our conversation today. Thank you, Katie. Thank you for having us. So we're talking MES. Can we talk about MES options today? What does the landscape look like currently? Sure, that's, uh, I would say, a great question to start off with, Katie. Uh, So MES has been around for quite some time now, and it's no wonder that the market has uh, really matured. However, what we see is two primary things, right? So with the maturity, we see that the market is highly fragmented. By fragmented, what I mean is typically you have the leading dominant players out there who are the traditional vendors available in this space. Think of uh, ERP companies like SAP and Oracle coming up with their own MES systems or the engineering side of companies like Siemens uh, having OpCenter and Dassault with their appraisal product as well as the OT side of systems uh, with companies like Rockwell having FTPC and Plex as their offerings, as well as G uh, Digital with their Prophecy MES product. So that's one piece, which is, I would say, a primary dominant player out there who typically provide a wider functionality as well as industrial coverage. On the other side, we have a lot of uh, what we call as pure play players, which are typical startups and smaller players, which are focused on niche segments However, offering a more modern architecture, this is where we have players like Tulip, 42Q, Cepasoft, iBASD, and others. Interestingly, what we are also seeing is a third stream of vendors cropping up, which are essentially large industrial organizations uh, who are acquiring MESs not just for their own consumption, but then packaging it together with what they are offering to their end customers. So in this category, think of players like Doer, who has their own MES like PXQ, and few years back acquired another MES product called iTech. Similarly, we have Corber, uh, which acquired very popular MES player leading in the pharma industry, which is called Verum, uh, having a product called PassX. On the other side, uh, what we are also seeing is this is leading to, I would say, a healthy competitive flux out there in the market, uh, where on one side, the traditional players are now racing to see how they could modernize their architecture more towards the cloud native architecture, and at the same time, also offer it in the form of newer business models, typically as SaaS or as managed services, so that on one side, they can cater to the long list of customers that they have not served yet today. And on the other side, honestly, uh, I think it is also in some aspect uh, it's the fear of missing out, if you will, so that they have a more competitive proposition compared to some of these pure play players uh, that we touched upon. 
So yeah, it sounds like the landscape is really vast. It's ever changing. Uh, Magnus, do you think that that's part of some organizations hesitation? Does that does that become a blocker then? Well, I think it certainly can be easy to be to feel almost paralyzed uh, of all the different options that are out there. Uh, and so I think uh, it, it's important to avoid that analysis paralysis sort of risk for sure and be really hyper-specific about what it is that you're trying to achieve and work backwards from there and not be afraid to experiment a lot uh, with some of these different partners and platforms and really sort of try it before you buy it, if you will, to truly understand what the, the, the good, bad, and the ugly, if you will, of every, of every, every one of these solutions really is. That makes sense. So yeah, 68% of manufacturing plants don't have an uh, MES, according to the research out there. So let's do a customer journey breakdown based on an organization's experience. Can you explain best practices for manufacturers with no experience and then best practices for those that are currently using an MES? So for customers who do not yet have an MES, they should look at their digital ambitions uh, and the strategic priorities into consideration coupled with additional tactical considerations. Uh, Typically what we see is what is the manufacturing style that they operate in? What is the geography uh, in which they have those plants running which needs to be digitized? Uh, What are the security costs and integration considerations? And bring all of this together as they make their build versus buy decision, if you will, right? And as they kind of get more pragmatic towards this, uh, this is where uh, I would advise them to kind of also dive deep into the different functional, technical, and the architectural patterns that are available across the different MES products that the vendors offer today in the market and take all of that into consideration as they make a more educated choice aligned with their not just immediate, but also mid and long-term priorities into consideration. As an example, uh, what I see is uh, it's very common for customers across multiple discrete industries to be initially focused on paperless and guided operations as their initial requirement. However, once they start seeing those benefits, they quickly want uh, want to then extend it to cover in-process quality and genealogy as key functional needs. On the other side, uh, customers who already have an existing MES should thoroughly evaluate their options primarily to arrive at a modernization versus a rip and replace decision, if you will, right? Um, When they do this detailed evaluation, especially in the context of modernization, they should be also thorough with respect to the criticality that is associated with timelines, with milestones, and with the associated business impact, because this is where they will find a lot of patterns around whether they should be looking more at a functional augmentation, uh, which means leaving and layering their existing MES, but extending it with additional functionalities uh, with apps that are more cloud native, thereby not adding to their technical debt, if you will. The other way in which uh, they should also really look at is uh, from a technical modernization perspective, do they really want to extend their existing MES or are the use cases that they are looking for uh, more suited for, let's say, an industrial IoT or a low-code, no-code kind of a platform, if you will. And then also from an architectural perspective, do they really need to make this decision of running their MES completely on-prem? 
Is there portions of it that can move to the cloud, uh, thereby more towards the hybrid deployment architecture, or does it really make sense to completely move their existing MES and modernize it into a more microservices container-driven architecture so that they can have the entire flexibility in terms of where and how they would like to deploy it? Uh, as an example, again, uh, what we are increasingly hearing from customers is a way to kind of figure out if there is in terms of how they can live and layer their existing MES investments by adding more functionality, leveraging typical low-code, no-code tools that are increasingly gaining popularity in the market today. Customers are also taking advantage of cloud to enable uh, cross-plant and cross-enterprise-wide visibility and transparency, which is where uh, we now hear a lot of customers looking to extend or leverage their MES investments to kind of extend that into their supply chain uh, initiatives from a transparency and data sharing perspective. Yeah, Darpan, I agree with all the above. And I think there are also some things that you want to be stubborn on, if you will, regardless of where you are and what patterns you follow, whether it's build and buy, whether you want to augment or modernize what you have. I think you mentioned there's a lot of things that MES can do. And, and one of them, for example, would be OEE utilization. I think it's easy to sometimes forget who are you designing and building a system for. Right? It's important to have analytics and allow management to see how the shop is performing and things like that. But fundamentally, my belief is that you need to take a, a operator first approach and really think about how can you provide uh, augmented capabilities for the operator that gives them a better day and gives them the, the tools uh, that allow them to be more productive, do work more safely, and really find ways to augment, uh, not only augment the operator, but also embed it in your continuous, continuous improvement journey and, and make sure that you sort of start from the, from the, from the, uh, the ground up with the operator. And, and this is really your opportunity to, to take that approach and get a fresh start because that's how you drive adoption. Ultimately, if you want to improve safety, quality, delivery costs, those typical KPIs, right, you need to really engage the operator and the people from the ground up to drive the right improvement as you go about doing this. So that's the first piece. I think another one is that it really comes down to architecture and some technology discussions, too, of this idea of individually interoperable microservices that are truly use case driven, meaning if you really focus on those use cases and how do you enable a use case one by one over time, then uh, you can deploy your MES at a pace that reflects your own ability to change and your own priorities in terms of where you need to improve and not uh, try to sort of swallow the whole elephant uh, all in one go. And in doing so, also not to be afraid of Making MES, what some people say is not MES, like warehouse management. Well, if you have a, a light uh, ERP system that does mainly order management, you don't have any legacy in your warehouse, it's totally okay to start expanding uh, into different non-traditional areas for as long as, again, as they're, they're use case driven and with the right architecture, uh, microservices, low-code tools on top and things like that. This is all very technically feasible. So I think I gathered start anywhere. You don't have to swallow the elephant. And also make sure that you're really thinking critically about who the user is going to be and architect well. And, you know, conversely with these best practices, are there common pitfalls in implementing, migrating or modernizing an MES? 
Yes, that's a great call out, Katie. Uh, in fact, uh, from our experience engaging with uh, multiple customers across different domains and geographies, what we see is a set of critical patterns that you should look out for. Uh, historically, you know, what we have seen is customers go through an elaborate process of product selection, followed by a long and a costly waterfall-based approach to customize and deploy the MES at their initial pilot sites, uh, and then struggling to maintain, upgrade, as well as scale across the other sites, eventually resulting in a sub-optimized data and manufacturing IT landscape. What we also see is uh, from a migration and modernization perspective, uh, the most common anti-pattern is being stuck in the design phase itself. And typically what we hear from customers is how to apply a domain-driven design to break down the existing monolith into a microservices-based architecture and leverage the scale, extensibility, reliability, and security of cloud. We have enough experience in terms of helping customers uh, not being uh, trapped into such patterns. Uh, and we have leveraged a lot of the learnings and insights from our engagements uh, in releasing what we call as cloud MES. Uh, it's a solution response that addresses multiple patterns that we briefly touched upon, meeting customers where they are and partnering with them to help them realize their smart manufacturing ambitions. Magnus, anything to add there? Yeah, there's a couple more. One is, this is the time to really uh, think differently about how are you going to run the business in the future and run your shop floor in the future and be really sort of thoughtful about the, where you want to end up. So I think one of them is, for example, as you, uh, as, you know, you walk out on the shop floor, you see a lot of, you know, in lean terms, right, the seven types of ways, you see a lot of manual tasks and you see a lot of things that can improve uh, to eliminate that waste. And it's very easy to sort of look at what you're doing today and think about how you're going to digitize what you have, which essentially means digitizing your waste. And so this is really the time to think about, again, about how are you going to operate moving forward, not just from a continuous improvement perspective and where you have your biggest uh, improvement potential, but also from a, even from a go-to-market in business perspective, for example, most manufacturers today are seeing and, and finding a, or trying to find a path towards moving from make to stock to make to order. That famous uh, batch of one and more customized products where you may have much more uh, uh, higher mix of products on your shop floor or more configurability and things like that. And that really uh, has an impact on how you do define your routings and how you define your work orders and your batch numbers and all that kind of stuff. And you have to think about, again, how you're, how you're going to accelerate that future, not just enable it, but also accelerate it as a result of uh, thinking about how to uh, modernize or build or buy uh, your, your MES. That's one. Um, and that brings me, brings me to the second one of uh, you really should – think about it from the from the four M's, right? Human, machine, material, and method, and make it part of your industrialization process. Let's say you're cutting a lot of sheet metal. I mean, there's a thousands of methods out there on any shop floor, but let's say it's a sheet metal cutting process and you're trying to move from plasma cutting or water jet cutting to laser cutting. Okay, how are you going to optimize that process as in relation to the use case of that particular operation and think holistically about how you're going to integrate your HMIs and your other systems that really interact with that process to optimize it end-to-end. -end. 
you really should think about it from that perspective of optimizing uh, through your industrialization strategy. And that, that's, I think, is key because that's how you'll see not only better outcomes in the short term, but also make sure that you deliberately and intentionally move towards your future. Great point, Magnus, because this is uh, something that we very typically, again, hear from customers. Like, uh, should I look at, uh, let's say, improving my processes first and make it more leaner, or should I look at uh, digitizing the existing processes, right? And typically, the way you called out, I think it is always great to kind of uh, first design the processes uh, in the best possible manner and then look at how you can digitize those processes. Of course, once you have done that uh, is where you still continue on that path towards continuous improvement. Great point, man. Thank you. Yeah, and just to build on that, Darp, and with the right architecture, you could start with the process, but then you can very sort of simply start to prototype on how you would digitize that process. And you would, with a low-code platform on top of your MES, for example, or embedded within your MES, you can start to really refine that process in a true continuous improvement mode. And that, that, that I think, is key. So yeah, we've covered best practices. We've covered pitfalls to avoid. Now, can you share MES solutions on AWS and who's using them? Well, as you know, Katie, at AWS, we are super obsessed with our customers. So the natural way was to kind of start, uh, identify the customer needs and uh, work backwards uh, from where they are. Uh, that's where we have taken a partner-first approach uh, to help our customers quickly realize uh, their digitization, which is essentially uh, the by-pattern that we touched upon uh, by bringing in more innovative partners. Think of uh, partners like Tulip, uh, who uh, with their frontline operations platform, which is a no-code tool, or, or a G Digital with their smart factory cloud uh, MES offerings, uh, or 42Q, who was born in the AWS cloud and is 100% AWS cloud native, uh, offering all of their solutions uh, either as SaaS or as managed services uh, so that customers can choose uh, the deployment that they need uh, aligned with their business objectives on AWS. Uh, by the way, uh, all of these partner offerings are also available to transact via AWS Marketplace. In terms of customers who have been uh, leveraging these uh, solutions, uh, I think we have large enterprise customers like Sanmina, who is a, a large contract manufacturing company on one side, as well as industrial customers like Terex, uh, who has uh, now deployed these cloud-based MES from our partners across multiple sites and multiple geographies. On the other side, we are increasingly seeing uh, the small and medium business, which also includes a lot of startups, companies like UCT, Cartier, PPG, uh, across multiple industries, uh, geographies, and domains, uh, successfully digitizing their manufacturing processes by leveraging these partner offerings, uh, which are available on AWS to reduce their overall total cost of ownership while drastically improving their time to value. What we are also doing in addition uh, to working with end customers is uh, working with large, uh, I would say, ISV uh, players, as we call it, or the solution, uh, the software vendors. Uh, think of players like Siemens, Tour, Arbor, AMAT, uh, as some of them uh, with whom we are working in terms of helping them modernize their existing offerings, which is breaking down their monoliths uh, into a more cloud-native architecture on AWS. Uh, 
Uh, in the meantime, uh, what we are doing is publishing joint guidance uh, for how best existing customers can use some of these best practices to migrate their own on-premise workloads on AWS. Uh, customers like Boston Scientific uh, are migrating their MES on AWS. We are also enabling such customers with a choice of uh, low-code and no-code tools to functionally augment their existing implementations. Think of customers uh, like Lockheed Martin, who are happy examples uh, that are leveraging and taking advantage of such a composable offering from AWS. Magnus, anything to add there? Maybe, maybe one thing, and that is also think about how you want to invest and how you want to pay, meaning easy to pay for a lot of features and functions that you may never use, right? And I think that's what you see with a lot of sort of the old, the monolithic way of, of buying systems. And so just like AWS, we're big believers in paying as you go and paying for what you use and only what you use. You should also make sure that your partner has a similar philosophy. So I think... Um, you know, a good analogy in manufacturing could be, uh, you know, if you do a lot of CNC machining, you're always thinking about, well, should I buy a three-axis milling machine or a four-axis milling machine or a five-axis milling machine? And of course, as you uh, go up that level of sophistication, the price goes up. And so if you only need three axes, you would just pay for that machine that can only do those things. But then you're locked in, right? Then you can grow into a more complex part or more complex uh, machining operations that you would get with four or five axes. And so... Think about it as you want to buy the five-axis machine that has the ability to do that, but pay for the three-axis if that's where you're going to start. Thank you both. This is a very meaty subject matter. If someone is interested in learning more, we're hosting a virtual customer meeting. We'll dive deeper in Cloud MES. Darpin, can you give us a clue of some of the topics that you're covering? So in general, what I was thinking as part of the uh, virtual customer meeting is to kind of typically cover the two things that I very frequently hear from customers, right? On the first one being, uh, what what are the trends and what does the future of MES look like? So that's that's the first point that I'm thinking of covering as part of that meeting and uh, obviously kind of diving deeper into some of the uh, patterns and best practices that we uh, briefly touched upon as part of this podcast in terms of addressing both the segments of customers, right? On one side, customers who are looking to digitize their manufacturing process, which is essentially to say, move from a paper-based manual operations into implementing uh, and cloud-based MES, as well as on the other side, in terms of what are the different options and patterns uh, that are available to customers who have already made an investment and are looking to uh, kind of modernize. Excellent. You can find the registration link in the show note. Magnus Darpin, thank you so much for joining me today. I know this is a subject matter that you're very passionate about. Thank you for having us, Katie. Thank you as well, Katie.